0: All right, welcome to episode two of Storytime with Kean. Season one is uh, Pride and Prejudice, where I'm reading the classic Jane Austen novel, Pride and Prejudice, with a little bit of a remix. Uh, we're calling it Pride and Prejudice and Kian. Uh So last time we were kind of getting introduced to uh, our main characters, uh, Lizzie, um, her, her family, and we were briefly introduced to Mr. Darcy. Uh, and I hope this week we'll get to learn a little bit more about him. Uh, if you tuned into the first episode, you'll know that I... Uh, have a little bit of a crush on Keira Knightley, um, and that—that's obviously who I see in my head whenever I'm thinking about Lizzie. Uh, maybe this week we'll get more Mr. Darcy scenes, and I'll be able to reveal who I see when I think about Mr. Darcy. Uh, well, we might see some crossover between different uh, screen adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, without further ado, let's get right into it. Today's chapters. Four through six. When Jane and Elizabeth were alone, the, far, the former, who had been cautious in her praise of Mr. Bingley before, expressed to her sister how very much she admired him. He is just what a young man ought to be, said she, sensible, good-humored, lively, and I never saw such happy manners, so much ease, with which such perfect good breeding. Note to self, breeding is not an okay word to use to describe a person these days. It's, it's kind of weird. "'He is also handsome,' replied Elizabeth, "'which a young man ought likewise to be, if he possibly can. "'His character is thereby complete. "'I was very much flattered by his asking me to dance a second time. "'I did not expect such a compliment. "'Did not you. I did for you. "'But that is one great difference between us. "'Compliments always take you by surprise, and me never. "'What could be more natural than his asking you again? "'He could not help seeing that you were about five times as pretty "'as every other woman in the room. "'Wow, she's a really good sister. "'My sister was never this nice to me.'" No thanks to all his gallantry for that. Well, he certainly is a very agreeable, and I give you leave to like him. You have liked many a stupider person. Wow. Wow. Dear Lizzie. Oh, you are a great deal apt, you know, to like people in general. You never see a fault in anybody. All the world are good and agreeable in your eyes. I never heard you speak ill of a human being in my life. I would wish not to be hasty in censuring anyone, but I would always speak what I think. I know you do, and it is that which makes the wonder... With your good sense, to be so honestly blind to the follies and nonsense of others, affectation of candor is common enough. One meets it everywhere, but to be candid without obstentation or design, to take the good of everybody's character and make it still better, and say nothing of the bad belongs to you alone. And so you, like this man's sisters too, do you? Their manners are not equal to his. Certainly not, at first. But they are a very pleasing woman when you converse with them. Converse with them, Jesus Christ. Mr. Bingley is to live with her brother and Mrs... Wow, we're not, we're not off to a great start today, folks. I apologize. Miss Bingley is to live with her brother and keep his house, and I am much mistaken if we shall not find a very charming neighbor in her. Elizabeth listened, listened in silence, but was not convinced that her behavior at the assembly had not been calculated to please in general, and with more quickness of observation and less pliancy of temper than her sister, and with a judgment too unassailed by any attention to herself, she was very little disposed to approve them. They were, in fact, very fine ladies, not deficient in good humor when they were pleased, nor in the power of being agreeable where they chose it, but proud and conceited. They were rather handsome, had been educated in one of the first private seminaries in town, had a fortune of twenty thousand pounds, were in the habit of spending more than they ought, and of associating with people of rank, and were therefore in every aspect entitled to think well of themselves and meanly of others. They were of a respectable family in the north of England, a circumstance more deeply impressed on their memories than their brother's fortune in their own had been acquired by trade. Jesus, I'm not doing great with the reading today, folks. I apologize. We're we're in the sophomore slump already, it looks like. I was hoping that would wait until season two mr bingley inherited property to the amount of nearly a hundred thousand pounds from his father who had not intended to purchase an estate but did not live to do it mr bingley intended it likewise and sometimes made choice of his county but as he was now provided with a good house in the liberty of a manor it was doubtful to many of those who best knew the easiness of his temper whether he might not spend the remainder of his days at netherfield and leave the next generation to purchase his sisters were very anxious for his having an estate of his own but though he was now established only as a tenant miss bingley was by no means unwilling to preside at his table nor was Mrs. Hurst, who had married a man of more fashion than fortune, less disposed to consider his house as her home when it suited her. Mr. Bingley had not been of age two years when he was tempted by an accidental recommendation to look at Netherfield House. He did look at it and into it for half an hour. Was pleased with the situation in the principal rooms, satisfied with what the owner said and its praise, and took it immediately. To have the kind of money where you could just like buy a manor house, just like immediately, damn. Between him and Darcy there was a very steady friendship, in spite of a great opposition of character. Bingley was endeared to Darcy by his easiness, openness, ductility of his own temper, though no no disposition could offer a greater contrast to his own, and though with his own he never appeared dissatisfied. On the strength of Darcy's regard, Miss Bingley had the firmest reliance, and of his judgment, the highest opinion. In understanding Darcy was the superior, Bingley was by no means deficient, but Darcy was clever. He was at the same time haughty, reserved, and fastidious, and his manners, though well-bred, were not inviting. In that respect, his friend had greatly the advantage. Bingley was sure of being liked wherever he appeared. Darcy was continually giving offense. So let's talk about Darcy. Uh you know, when I, when I read through this and I hear this description of him and how he's kind of basically a slow burn, he's not, like, making a great first impression, but he grows on you, maybe. Um, I am, of course, thinking of Colin Firth from, I believe, the BBC adaptation. Uh, I, I think, like, every role Colin Firth plays, uh, he's kind of coming off this way, and so I think he, he's a good fit for Mr. Darcy. So anytime I'm hearing descriptions of Mr. Darcy or I'm reading lines of Mr. Di- Darcy's dialogue, I am thinking of the one, the only, the king, the, the, the king. Mr. Darcy, uh, himself, Colin Firth. Uh, so we've got the BBC, uh, Mr. Darcy, and we've got the uh, two thousand five, two thousand five, something like that. Uh, Elizabeth. Um, so yeah, just wanted to, to make it clear. I don't have a crush on Colin Firth. I'm sorry, Colin. You're just yeah, you know, just not. Yep, sorry. Uh, I'm just born old straight man. Uh, but you know, you're a good actor. You've been nominated for an Oscar, I think, for the King's Speech. I, I don't know that you deserved it, but you were nominated. If you won, and I'm sorry. Um, anyways, on with the show. The manner in which they spoke at the Merton Assembly was sufficiently char- characteristic. Bingley had never met with pleasanter people or prettier girls in his life. Everybody had been most kind and attentive to him. There had been no formality, no stiffness. He had soon felt acquainted he soon felt acquainted with all the room and as to Miss Bennet, he could not conceive an angel more beautiful. Darcy, on the contrary, had seen a collection of people in whom there was little beauty and no fashion, for none of whom he had felt the smallest interest, and from none received either attention or pleasure. Miss Bennet, he acknowledged, to be pretty, but she smiled too much. Ugh, I hate it when, when when women smile too much. Seriously, like, can you just frown more? Like, you know, like, come on, like... I, I, I'm tired of walking down the street and telling a woman to put, up, put on a frown or turn that smile upside down. Like, it's just, like, really irritating when women smile too much, right? Come on, guys. Jesus Christ, Mr. Dursey. Fuck off. Um. Anyways, Mrs. Hurst and her sister allowed it to be so, but still they admired her and liked her and pronounced her to be a sweet girl and that one whom they should not object to know more of. Miss Bennet was therefore established as a sweet girl, and their brother felt authorized by such commendation to think of her as he chose. Chapter 5. Within a short walk of Longhorn lived a family with whom the Bennets were particularly intimate. Sir William Lucas had been formerly in trade in Merton, where he had made a tolerable fortune and risen to the honor of knighthood by an address to the king during his mayoralty. The distinction had perhaps been too, felt too strongly. It had given him a disgust to his business and to his residence in a small market town, and quitting them both, he had removed with his family to a house about a mile from Merton, denominated from that period Lucas Lodge, where he could think with pleasure of his own importance and, unshackled by business, occupy himself solely in being civil to all the world. For though elated by his rank, it did not render him supercilious, or, on the contrary, he was all attention to everybody. By nature inoffensive, friendly, and obliging, his presentation at St. James's had made him courteous. Lady Lucas was a very good kind of woman, not too clever to be a valuable neighbor to Mrs. Bennet. They had several children. The eldest of them was a sensible, intelligent young woman, about twenty-seven, was Elizabeth's intimate friend. That the Miss Lucases and the Miss Bennets should meet to talk over a ball was absolutely necessary, and the morning after the assembly brought the former to Longbourn to hear and to communicate. You began the evening well, Charlotte, said Mrs. Bennet, with civil self-command to Miss Lucas. You were Mr. Bingley's first choice. Yes, but he seemed to like his second better. Ooh. Oh, you mean Jane, I suppose, because he danced with her twice? To be sure, that did seem as if he admired her. Indeed, I rather believe he did. I heard something about it, but I hardly know what. Something about Mr. Robinson? Perhaps you mean what I overheard between him and Mr. Robinson? Did I, did not I mention it to you, Mr. Robinson's asking him how he liked our merchant assemblies and whether he did not think there were a great many pretty women in the room, and which he thought the prettiest, and is answering immediately to the last question. Oh, no, the eldest miss better beyond a doubt. There cannot be two opinions on that point. Upon my word. Well, that was very decided indeed. That does seem as if, but however, it may all come to nothing. You know, some old Old dialogue is just very difficult and weird to read. This is one of them. (laughs) That line was one of them. My overhearings were more to the purpose than yours, Eliza, said Charlotte. Mr. Darcy is not so well worth listening to as his friend is he. Poor Eliza, to be only just tolerable. Again, Keira Knightley, way more than tolerable. I beg you would not put it into Lizzie's head to be vexed by his ill treatment, for he is such a disagreeable man that it would be quite a misfortune to be liked by him. Mrs. Long told me last night that he sat close to her for half an hour without once opening his lips. Maybe the motherfuckers are shy. Jesus. Are you quite sure, ma'am? Is there not a little mistake? said Jane. I certainly saw Mr. Darcy speaking to her. Aye, because she asked him at last how he liked Netherfield, and he could not help answering her. But she said he seemed very angry at being spoke to. Miss Bingley told me, said Jane, that he never speaks much unless his intimate, unless among his intimate acquaintance. With them, he is remarkably agreeable. So he's shy. He's shy. You just got to get to know the guy. Like, back off. Jesus. I do not believe a word of it, my dear. If he had been so very agreeable, he would have talked to Mrs. Long. But I can guess how it was. Everybody says that he's ate up with pride, and I dare say he had heard somehow that Mrs. Long does not keep a carriage, and had come to the ball at a hawk I do not mind his not talking to Mrs. Long, said Miss Lucas, but I wish he had danced with Eliza. Another time, Lizzie said her mother, I would not dance with him if I were you. I believe, ma'am, I may safely promise you never to dance with him. His pride, said Miss Lucas, does not offend me so much as his pride often does, because there is an excuse for it. One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man with family, fortune, everything in his favor, should think highly of himself. If I may so express it, he has a right to be proud. That is very true, said Elizabeth, and I could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine pride observed mary who piqued herself up upon the solidarity of reflections is a very common failing i believe by all that i have ever read i am convinced that it is very common indeed that human nature is particularly prone to it and that there are very few of us who do not cherish a feeling of self-complacency or on the score of some quality or other real or imaginary Vanity and pride are different things. Though the words are often used synonymously, a person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves vanity to what we would have others think of us. If I were as rich as Mr. Darcy, cried a young Lucas who came with his sisters, I should not care how proud I was. I would keep a pack of foxhounds and drink a bottle of wine every day. Then you would drink a great deal more than you ought, said Mrs. Bennet. And if I were to see you as it, as it I should take away your bottle directly. She's like, I'm fumbling lines left, right, and center. I apologize, listeners. The boy protested that she should not. She continued to declare that she would, and the argument ended only with the visit. Chapter 6 The ladies of Longbourn soon waited on those of Netherfield. The visit was returned in due form. Miss Bennet's pleasing manners grew on the will of Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley. And though though the mother was fond to be intolerable, and the younger sisters not worth speaking to, a wish of being better acquainted with them was expressed towards the two eldest, by Jane, this attention was received with the greatest pleasure, but Elizabeth still saw superciliousness in their treatment of everybody, hardly accepting even her sister, and could not like them, though their kindness to Jane such as it was had a value as arising in all probability from the influence of their brother's admiration. It was generally evident wherever, whenever they met that he did admire her, and to her it was equally evident that Jane was yielding to the pretty preference which she had begun to entertain from him from the first, and was, in a way, to be very much in love. But she considered with pleasure that it was not likely to be discovered by the world in general, since Jane united with great strength of feeling oops, great strength of feeling, a composure of temper and a uniform cheerfulness of manner, which would guard her from the suspiciousness ugh, I cannot do this today, I apologize. Which would guard her from the suspicions of the impertinent. She mentioned that to her friend, Miss Lucas. It may perhaps be pleasant, replied Charlotte, to be able to impose on the public in such a case, but it is sometimes a disadvantage to be so very guarded. If a woman conceals her affection with the same skill from the object of it, she may lose the opportunity of fixing him, and it will then be but poor consolation to believe the world equally in the dark. There is so much of gratitude or vanity in almost every attachment that it is not safe to leave any of it to itself. We can all begin freely. A slight preference is natural enough. But there are very few of us who have heart enough to really be in love without encouragement. In nine cases out of ten, a woman had better show more affection than she feels. Bingley likes your sister undoubtedly, but he may never do more than like her if she does not help him on. But she does help him on as much as her nature will allow. If I can perceive her regard for him, he must be a simpleton indeed not to discover it too. Remember, Eliza, that he does not know Jane's disposition as you do, but if a woman is partial to a man and does not endeavor to conceal it, he must find it out. Perhaps he must, if he sees enough of her. But though Bingley and Jane meet tolerably often, it is never for many hours together, and as they always see each other in large mixed parties, it is impossible that every moment should be employed in conversing together. Jane should therefore make the most of every half hour in which she can command his attention. When she is secure of him, there will be leisure for falling in love as much as she chooses." Your plan is a good one, replied Elizabeth, where nothing is in question but the desire of being well-married, and if I were determined to get a rich husband, or any husband, I dare say I should adopt it. But these are not Jane's feelings. She is not acting by design. As yet, she cannot even be certain of the degree of her own regard, nor of its reasonableness. She has known him only a fortnight. She danced four dances with him at Meryton. She saw him one morning at his own house and has since dined in company with him four times. This is not quite enough to make her understand his character. Not as you represent it, Had she merely dined with him, she might have only discovered whether he had a good appetite, but you must remember that four evenings have also been spent together, and four evenings may do a great deal. Yes, these four evenings have enabled them to ascertain that they both like Vingtun better than commerce, but with respect to any other leading characteristic, I do not imagine that much has been unfolded. Well, said Charlotte, I wish Jane success with all my heart, and if she were married to him tomorrow, I should think she had as good a chance of happiness as she were to be studying his character for a twelve month. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance. If the dispositions of the parties are ever so well known to each other, or ever so similar beforehand, it does not advance their felicity in the least. They always continue to grow sufficiently, unlike afterwards, to have their share of vexation, and it is better to know as little as possible of the defects of the person with whom you are to pass your life. I don't know that I agree with that but okay uh, you make me laugh Charlotte but it is not sound you know it is not sound and that you would never act in this way yourself occupied in observing Mr. Bingley's attention to her sister Elizabeth was far from suspecting that she was herself becoming an object of some interest in the eyes of his friend Mr. Darcy had at first scarcely allowed her to be pretty he had looked at her without admiration at the ball and when they next met he looked only at looked at her only to criticize. But no sooner had he made it clear to himself and his friends that she had hardly a good feature in her face, than he began to find it was rendered uncommonly intelligent by the beautiful expression of her dark eyes. Kira Knightley does have beautiful, beautiful eyes. I, I call in for those good taste. Uh, <laughs> to this, to this discovery succeeded some other, some others equally mortifying. Though he had. Detected with a critical eye more than one failure of perfect symmetry in her form fuck off. He was forced to acknowledge her figure to be light and pleasing, and in spite of his asserting that her manners were not those of the fashion world, he was caught by their easy playfulness. Of this she was perfectly unaware. To her he was the only the man who had made himself agreeable nowhere, and who had thought her handsome enough to dance with had not thought her handsome enough to dance with. He began to wish to know more of her, and as a step towards conversing with her, himself attending to conversation with others. His doing so was to draw her notice. It was at Sir William Lucas's where a large party was assembled. "'What does Mr. Darcy mean?' said she to Charlotte, by listening to my conversation with Colonel Foster. "'This is a question which Mr. Darcy only can answer. "'But if he does it any more, I shall certainly let him know that I see what he is about. "'He is a very satirical lion. if I do not begin by being impertinent myself, I shall soon grow afraid of him.' On his approaching them soon afterwards, though without seeming to have any intention of speaking, Miss Lucas defied her friend to mention such a subject to him, which immediately provoking Elizabeth to do so, she turned to him and said, "'Did you not think, Mr. Darcy, that I expressed myself uncommonly well just now when I realized was teasing Mr. Colonel Foster to give us a ball at Merton?' "'With great energy, but it is a subject which always makes a lady energetic. "'You are severe on us. It will be her turn, her turn soon to be teased,' said Miss Lucas.' I'm going to open the instrument, Eliza, and you know what follows. You are a very strange creature by way of a friend. Always wanted me to play and sing before anybody and everybody. If my vanity had taken a musical arm, you would have been invaluable, but as it is, I must. I would really rather not sit down before those who must be in the habit of hearing the very best performers. A Miss Lucas's persevering, however, she added. Very well. If it must be so, it must. And gravely glancing at Mr. Darcy, there is a final saying, which everybody here is, of course, familiar with. Keep your breath to cool your porridge. And I shall keep mines to swell my song. Her performance was pleasing, though by me at no means capital. Ah oh, that's capital so. After a song or two, and before she could reply to the entreaties of several that she would sing again, she was eagerly succeeding at the instrument by her sister Mary, who having, in consequence of being the only plain one in the family, worked hard for knowledge and accomplishments, was always impatient for display. Mary had neither genius nor taste, and though vanity had given her application, it had given her likewise a pedantic air and conceited manner, which would have injured a higher degree of excellence than she had reached. Elizabeth, easy and unaffected, had been listened to with much more pleasure, though not playing half so well, and Mary, at the end of a long concerto, was glad to purchase praise and gratitude by Scotch and Irish airs. Ah, the folk and Irish soul. At the request of her younger sisters, who, with some of the Lucas's and two or three officers, joined eagerly in dancing at one end of the room, Mr. Darcy stood near them in silent indignation at such a mode of passing the evening, to the exclusion of all conversation and was too much engrossed by his own thoughts to perceive that Sir William Lucas was his neighbor. For Sir William thus began, "'What a charming amusement for young people this is, Mr. Darcy. There is nothing like dancing, after all. I consider it as one of the first refinements of polished societies. Certainly, sir, and it has the advantage of also being in vogue amongst the less polished societies of the world. Every savage can dance.' I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, "'Sir William only smiled. <laughs> "'Your friend performs delightfully,' he continued after a pause on seeing Bingley join the group.' "'And I doubt not that you are an adept in the science yourself, Mr. Darcy. "'You saw me dance at Merton, I believe, sir.' "'Yes, indeed, and received no inconsiderable pleasure from the sight. "'Do you often dance at St. James's?' "'Never, sir.' "'Do you not think it would be a proper compliment to the place?' "'It is a compliment which I never pay to any place if I can avoid it.' "'You have a house in town, I conclude?' "'Mr. Darcy bowed.' "'I had once some thoughts of fixing in town myself, for I am fond of superior society, "'but I did not feel quite certain that the heir of London would agree with Lady Lucas.' He paused in hopes of an answer, but his companion was not disposed to make any, and Elizabeth at that instant moving towards him, he was struck with the notion of doing a very gallant thing, and called out to her. "'My dear Eliza, why are you not dancing? "'Mr. Darcy, you must allow me to present this young lady to you "'as a very desirable partner. "'You cannot refuse to dance, I am sure, "'when so much beauty is before you.' "'And taking her hand, he would have given it to Mr. Darcy, "'who, though extremely surprised, was not unwilling to receive it, "'when she instantly drew back and said with some discomposure to Mr. William, "'Indeed, sir, I have not the least intention of dancing. "'I entreat you not to suppose that I move this way "'in order to beg for a partner.' "'Mr. Darcy, with great propriety, "'requested to be allowed the honour of her hand, but in vain.' "'Elizabeth was determined, nor did Sir William at all shake her purpose by his attempt at persuasion. "'You excel so much in the dance, Miss Eliza, that it is cruel to deny me the happiness of seeing you. "'And though this gentleman dislikes the amusement in general, he can have no objection, I am sure, to oblige us for one half hour.' "'Mr. Darcy is all politeness,' said Elizabeth, smiling. "'Oh, the shade, the shade! He is indeed. "'But considering the indictment of my dear Miss Eliza, we cannot wonder it has complacence, for who would object to such a partner?' Elizabeth looked archly, and turned away. Her resistance had not injured her with the gentleman, and he was thinking of her with some complacency, when thus accosted by Miss Bingley, I guess the subject of your reverie. I should imagine not. You are considering how insupportable it would be to pass many evenings in this manner, in such society, and indeed I am qu- I'm quite of European. I was never more annoyed, the insipidity, and yet the noise, the nothingness, and yet the self-importance of all these people, what I would give to hear your strictures on them. Your conjecture is totally wrong, I assure you. My mind was more agreeably engaged. I have been med- meditating on the very great pleasure which a pair of fine eyes in the face of a pretty woman can bestow. Miss Bingley immediately fixed her eyes on his face and desired he would tell her what lady had the credit of inspiring such reflections. Mr. Dartney replied with great, great intrepidity, Miss Elizabeth Bennet. Miss Elizabeth Bennet, repeated Miss Bingley, I am all astonishment. How long has she been such a favorite? And pray am I to wish you such joy. That is exactly the question which I expected you to ask. The lady's imagination is very rapid. It jumps from admiration to love, from love to matrimony in a moment. I knew you would be wishing me joy. Nay, if you are so serious about it, I shall consider the matter in absol- as absolutely settled. You will have a charming mother-in-law indeed, and of course she will always be at Pemberley with you. He listened to her with perfect indifference while she chose to entertain herself in this manner. And as his composure convinced all, her that all was safe, her wit flowed long. And you know what, we're gonna call it a stop for there today. We're gonna stop there for today. I cannot talk today. This is the worst episode, and we're only two episodes in. There you have it, another episode in the books. Uh, Tune in again next week. We'll read another three to five chapters. Um, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more nonsense from me, feel free to follow me on twitter.com. Uh, you can find me at TheKeyanRice. That's spelled T-H-E-C-I-A-N-R-I-C-E. Once again, that's at T-H-E-C-I-A-N-R-I-C-E. That spells at the key and Rice. Until next time.